1: Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules contain 100% fine-ripened fruits and vegetables, tested pure with no pesticides, fillers, or additives of any kind, and are the most effective whole food supplements on the market today. You might ask, how can over 10 servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables fit into six vegetarian capsules? Fruits and vegetables are on an average 85% water. Balance of Nature uses cold vacuum technology to remove the water, leaving only the whole food we don't use. Use any heat, air, or light drying methods that damage nutrients. Our cold vacuum technology maintains 99% of the fresh fruits and vegetables' original nutritional value. Along with diet and exercise, Mother Nature provides fruits and vegetables to help us maintain good health.
0: To order, go to balanceofnature.com or call one 800 246 That's 1-800-246-8751. Use the special promo code PODCAST.
1: You used to eat meat, and then you switched to a plant-based diet, and you haven't gone back. How how long has it been since you last consumed, uh, since you last partook of the delicious substance that (laughs) is meat?
2: Yeah, um, it's been somewhere around four years.
1: culture as politically polarized and aggressively tribalized as ours, how do people change their minds? I'm Georgie Borman, a mother, author, and cultural commentator born and raised on the West Coast. I want to know what we can learn from people who've been on both sides of contentious issues, whether they end up on the right or the left. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the 180 cast.
2: It's kind of the definition of insanity, right? If you keep trying this high protein thing and it's not working for your health, um, you got to switch it up.
1: Welcome back to the 180 Cast. I am your host, Georgie Borman. Today, we have another fun, exciting exploration of the other side of the coin. Um, You may recall that one of the first episodes we released... Of the 180 cast was with Lee Arkeith, who was a vegan for 20 years and then left veganism. And she said that she felt a lot better after she left veganism, and then she wrote a book about it. And it was a really interesting conversation that I encourage you to check out when we're done here if you haven't already. That's episode four. Well, today we have someone who left an omnivorous diet and switched to a plant-based diet, felt a lot better, and wrote a book about it. So. That is what is awesome about this podcast. We get to explore both sides of the debate from people who have changed their minds. Pat McCauley is a entrepreneur and the host of the Eat Green, Make Green podcast, which you can find at eatgreenmakegreen.com, and author of the book Eat Green, Make Green, How Adopting a Vegan Diet Took My Life and Career to the Next Level. Um, Pat, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for that um, very kind intro there. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, just so you know, I'm I'm not a vegan. I am um, very interested in in the whole science and the whole debate are, around this, so um, I'm hoping you won't you won't be the last vegan to come on the podcast. Um, all right, so yeah, I found you because I found uh, like your TEDx talk which I thought was really intriguing. So, you used to eat meat and then you switched to a plant-based diet and you haven't gone back. How how long has it been since you last consumed uh, since you last partook of the delicious substance that is
2: meat yeah um it's been somewhere around four years i don't have like an exact date like i hear people nowadays have like vegan or vegan anniversaries and things like that i don't have an exact date it, it, it's somewhere around uh four years and yeah and it was it was a gradual transition it wasn't like a you know, I woke up and decided to be vegan or plant-based. It was more of a transition in me listening to my body and, and learning about, you know, science and nutrition as I went. Um, so, you know, kind of the the transition probably took, you know, three, three or five months, somewhere in there. And um, yeah, but about four years.
1: All right. So tell me a little bit more about this transition. What prompted you to try and to start, you know, moving things around and, and moving meat out of your diet?
2: Yeah. So I am am an ex-athlete, played sports all my life until, you know, post-college. And um, I always really ate the same way, right? I always ate how I was always told by coaches and nutritionists and um doctors even, you know, and, and my mentality was all around high protein, right? Um and for me that meant animal products. Protein to me equaled animal products, which I, I think very differently about now. But um, you know, that's what I followed. I try to I tried to limit carbs and I tried to eat as much protein as I can, especially as a guy playing a kind of manly man sport football and trying to, you know, be the best athlete and be the strongest person I could be. And and I thought, you know, animal products were the answer. But that's all I knew really growing up, too. So, you know, I always ate what I thought was very healthy. I was, you know, eating eggs for breakfast and, you know, chicken on my salad at lunch and steak and potatoes for dinner and hamburgers and, you know, anything that I thought was going to get me protein, and I didn't think much uh, beyond that, and it wasn't until kind of my post-sports days where I wasn't, you know, spending four hours a day, you know, at my sport and being active, and I was, you know, a person in the real world and only had an hour or two to squeeze in, you know, my fitness or exercise, and I just found my, found myself at a place that, you know, I was trying the same thing over and over, this high-protein, low-carb sort of mentality. Um, and I just found myself having to work so hard to maintain my weight and um, how I wanted to look. And on top of that, you know, I had had all kinds of quote-unquote normal um, Issues since I was a little kid, things like asthma, allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, I had pretty bad arthritis post my football days. Wow, um, that's young. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, a doctor tell me my my left knee, which I had torn uh, a couple times playing football, um, m- my MCL and, and something else. Um, yeah, that I had like the the knee of an eighty year old. So I had. A lot of bodily issues, um, and I just wasn't waking up feeling good. I was didn't didn't have great energy. I thought I did. That's the thing that I think people get caught with a lot is I thought I had great energy, and I thought I felt good, and all of these things I was kind of dealing with I thought were normal. Um, so yeah, I got to a point where I just decided to try something different, uh, because it's kind of the definition of insanity, right? If you keep trying this high protein thing and it's not working for your health, and and you're not achieving what you want to achieve, um, you got to switch it up. And that's when I started to experiment.
1: So, was there like a particular moment where you were like, what, well, like you mentioned your energy level, where you realize like, oh, I don't have the energy I think I did, like. Like When when did the light bulb click for you that you were going to have more energy if you ate more plants and less meat?
2: Um, It started with just trying it. So I just started with um, changing my breakfast. I said, hey, let me try something different than my eggs in the morning. Um, You know, I found somebody on Instagram or or Facebook or somewhere uh, that was, you know, big into green smoothies. He was a kind of ripped up guy and looked good. I said, wow, what's this green smoothie thing? You know, gave it a shot. I had already previously like transitioned out of, um, animal milk. So I was already doing plant-based milk and I just started replacing my eggs with a green smoothie, you know, full of fruits and leafy greens and some almond milk. And I mean, that was the spark. I just felt so much better come ten, eleven AM noon. Uh, wasn't reaching for the second cup of coffee, you know, things started working in my body a lot differently, digestion, and um, yeah, that that was really the spark um, that gave me just this newfound energy and sort of mental clarity throughout the morning. Um, and then it just made me feel so good. I started experimenting, and if there was something I ate that you know gave me that same feeling of of increased energy and feeling good, I just kept it in my diet. Um, and if it didn't, I eliminated it. And again, it wasn't like a, I'm going plant-based, I'm going vegan. I I just did what felt best and, um, stuck with it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that that you say that because, um, one of... I feel like the best pieces of advice I got from my midwife, um, cause I'm in my third trimester right now, but with my first child, she was like, uh, you know, because people get very, very, um, like uptight about what should I eat? What should I not eat? You know, um, how much exercise do I need and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, listen to your body. And I was like, oh,
2: totally, totally. <laughs> I, do, I do feel like though it does take experiencing how good you can feel. Because, again, I really felt like I just had some issues that I had to deal with and I was going to wake up tired and I was going to need a lot of coffee. And I I I thought all those things were normal. So I thought I felt better than most and I thought I felt good. So, you know, there's an element of listening to your body and then there's an element of, you know really trying different things as well, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, my, somebody, I know like their whole family is still after even a couple of years, like mostly doing keto stuff. Um, and she said after a while, she just figured out, like, I cannot just eat, you know, eggs and bacon or something along those lines for breakfast. She goes, I have to have some carbs. Like I cannot do this diet strictly the way that the books tell you do it to tell you to do it. I'm going to do it this way. And she feels better when she eats carbs in the morning. It's like, listen to your, listen to your body. Um, so how long, Do you estimate it took you to like fully decide to be completely plant based? Were there ethical concerns that played into it, or was it mostly just that it made you feel good and then those came in later?
2: Yeah, it it totally started with the health aspect of it. You know, I started experiencing, you know, all the benefits that I talked about, you know, just new energy, you know, clear mind, sleeping better uh, digestion working better, skin started to clear up. So all these things started happening. And, um, yeah, I, the, the, it it all started for health. And then I learned of the ethical things later that I was totally, you know, blind to, and had never given a second thought to, um, that I do agree with now. Um, but it definitely started with it just feeling good and learning more about the health benefits of it. And, um, and going from there, yeah.
1: So when you were m- moving meat out of your diet, were you at the same time also moving like processed foods out of your diet, like hamburger buns and things like that?
2: Yeah, like I went I went pretty hardcore, so I, I should kind of uh, clarify when I'm talking about like the diet that changed my health and my life, I'm talking about whole plant foods, so I'm not talking... You know, processed plant-based or vegan. You know, you can be very healthy, unhealthy as a vegan. You can eat Oreos and Coca-Cola all day if you want to. Um, so, what I'm talking about is a whole food plant-based diet. Um, you know, one ingredient foods. You know, chickpeas and and apples and bananas and um, so those are the foods that that changed my life. And yeah, for about six months, I went pretty hardcore whole food plant-based because it felt so good and I really wanted to see if it was something you know that was was sustainable for me and felt good over the long term so um, you know I wasn't perfect you know there are probably some processed breads and the occasional impossible burger and things like that that I mixed in but you know other than that it was pretty whole food focused yeah
1: what is the impossible burger
2: it's a plant-based burger Um, so there's a few companies doing like plant-based, um, meats that very much replicate regular meat. And it's more for, it's not really a health thing. It's more for sustainability in the planet and, um, that side of things. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty big industry. Actually, uh, Beyond Meat, um, is another big company that just had their IPO this past week. It was biggest IPO of the year. Um, yeah, so that's a very... Growing market.
1: I see. I, okay, so the it makes sense now. The impo- impossible burger, because to me that does seem impossible. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched Par- Parks and Rec, where they did like the veggie burger versus the the normal hamburger, and the normal hamburger was just like it was just like a quarter pound patty and a bun, and it was like here's your hamburger, <laughs> and everyone's like this is amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But to be honest, I still felt like the one that was made of tofu or whatever it was, it looked pretty delicious. So I'm open to trying that. Um, All right. So as far as the science goes, um, which you, you mentioned a little bit in your Ted talk, um, what were some of the first things that stuck out to you that you felt like sort of validated the experience that you were having with feeling better on more plant-based foods?
2: Yeah, one of the when I started digging, one of the first and I think to this day best resources I found um, was a doctor called um, uh, Dr. Michael Greger who wrote the book How Not to Die, um, and also has Helpful. a non. Yeah, and uh, and has a nonprofit um, site called nutritionfacts.org. And I first read his book and he he basically has this nonprofit where he um, analyzes every single nutritional peer-reviewed scientific study that comes out, um, which I believe is thousands a year. Um, and he breaks it down to kind of like human level talk, you know, you don't have to be a scientist or a doctor to understand it. And he presents the findings and videos and blog posts and articles on his, on his website. And, um, yeah, just does an amazing job, um, of breaking down the real science. I think, you know, we, we live in a world where it's beautiful that we can do our own research, but. You know, when we Google, is bacon good for us or is bacon bad for us, right, we get a thousand different opinions and perspectives. And, um, you know, reading his book and using him, again, as one of the first resources, um, it allowed me to kind of block out the noise in the different perspectives and just focus on the science. Um, So that was one of the the first and best resources that I recommend to people. Um, And then from there... Um, you know, he links to all the studies he, he refers to, so you can go read them yourself and, you know, draw your own conclusions and even get into, Hey, you know, was this, was this study funded by, you know, the national egg board, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's going to be a little biased, you know, so you just have to take things with a grain of salt. And it started with that for me. And then actually learning how to read nutrition studies and understanding some of the tactics that you know, big corporations use to get some results that they, you know, might want. And I'm not saying they're evil or or it's a big conspiracy or anything like that. You just have to be aware of it and, and make your own conclusions.
1: Yeah. Reading studies can be intimidating. And I feel like a lot of people um, instinctively go for the commentaries on the studies because they feel like they won't be able to comprehend it. But I don't know if you agree with this, but I think it's almost like like a muscle, um, where you, you have to, it's really hard at first, but then sort of once you, you learned the, the technical language and just a little bit of the math and things like that, you can kind of break it down and, you know, just like practice your critical thinking, um, that's something that we've talked about on, on this podcast before, you know, I, I talked to somebody the other day who used to be an anti-vaxxer, um, and then Lee or Keith, who I, who I mentioned, um, earlier in, in this episode. And that seems to be something that's really lacking in our public discourse is just the ability for people like you and me to go in and read studies for ourselves and like, just think critically about it and draw our own conclusions.
2: I 100% agree with you. And yeah, just like little things of, you know, you can take the, the summary and the findings of it, but then if, if you know how to read it and you go back and you say, wait a second, you know, 90% of these people, their BMI was way over the normal BMI. So you're taking unhealthy people to start with. And then you're adding some butter or whatever you know they're studying into their diet, and then you're going to say it has no negative impact on their health. But you know they're already unhealthy people. Maybe maybe the eggs or whatever you're studying was is actually healthier than what they are eating. You know, so there's a lot that goes into it, and a lot of like questions that yeah, I think you personally need to raise. And again, that nutritionfacts.org, I think he just does a great job of of you know dumbing it down to the level that m- makes sense for people, you know?
1: So what do you make of ex-vegans? Because I've discovered there's like this whole sub-genre in YouTube of ex-vegans. Um, w- w- What what do you make of that? Yeah, um,
2: it's interesting to me, you know? And I think, um, I don't know, you know, everybody's their own person, Um you know, I, I take the approach, you know, I definitely don't like to tell people how to eat or how to live. I just encourage them to, you know, do their own research and make their own conclusions. But when it comes to sort of the, the ex-vegans, from my perspective, I think um, a lot of them are, you know, either not following a whole food plant-based diet, which I think, again, is the optimal you know, for, for your health. Um, perhaps they're not eating enough, not eating enough calories. Um, or maybe they, you know, have some other, you know, deeper issues than, than the food itself, whether it's, um, you know, an eating disorder or, you know, just some other personal things that are causing them to be unwell um you know that can come from your mind that can come from the way you think it can come from a thousand different things um and i have seen yeah i i have seen some of the videos of some influencer vegan types uh going back to eating eggs and fish and stuff like that and um again they're their own person i just personally i don't see you know, the the science to back up how, you know, why they think they need those things. And uh, but they're they're their own person. And, and, you know, I have no judgment against them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think for a lot of them, it's something deeper. It's 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 some other, you know, food is only one bucket in what creates a, you know, a, a human's health. Um, you know, there's you know, 10 buckets I can think of off the top of my head. And, you know, I, I think people blame the the vegan diet or the plant-based diet or however you want to term it. Um, and that person is just lacking in some other areas of life. Maybe they're stressed out or, or whatever it is. Um, um, and, and they want something to blame it on and, and they pick the diet. That's my mm. personal opinion.
1: So I've heard you mention before that not just your energy – Changed when you switched to a plant-based diet, but more like your attitude changed. I think you said something like you weren't you weren't as angry or you felt more at peace. And you say that other vegans say the same thing. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that?
2: Yeah, totally. This is it's something I often struggle to explain to people. Um, but there is just this sort of calmness and and more. Um, I always use the term at ease, um, that came over me and maybe that's, you know, unclogging my arteries and I don't have high blood pressure anymore or, and there's less inflammation in my body or whatever it is. Um, um, but yeah, just something has come over me personally and, um, that I am just, you know, I have less of a short fuse. I, I'm more... At ease and at peace, and I feel better. And things just don't, you know, piss me off like they used to. Maybe somebody cutting me off in traffic, or you know, the girlfriend coming home with, um, you know, complaining about stuff or, or whatever. Um, I'm just more, more at ease, and I, you know, noticed that very much when I started changing my diet. And I ask that question to people on my podcast all the time, like you know, what are some other things that change for you with the diet? And I get that all the time. People use the word lighter. They use uh, the word clearer. They use at ease. They um, A lot of these kind of unexplainable, not unexplainable, I don't think it's unexplainable, but for somebody that might not believe in the power of food, or um, you know, believe in things like energy, uh, which comes off as kind of woo-woo, hippie talk sort of stuff. Um, you know, they they question it, but uh, it's it's very much something I've felt, and definitely just hearing other people's experience, something they've felt as well.
1: Is there any, for instance, like psychological research that looks at people's different diet and how it affects? their their moods um
2: i certainly wouldn't be able to speak on it knowledgeably um i know there's certainly studies around food and mental health um yeah. and, and things of that nature um yeah but i i wouldn't want to uh go on record uh yeah giving my opinion there just because i'm not educated enough on it
1: yeah i appreciate that um that sounds like a fascinating thing to look into i'm gonna have to I'm going to have to poke around in that cuz that does sound very interesting. I haven't experienced anything like that like, you know, from from week to week or whatever depending on the things I eat, but I haven't made any sort of radical changes in my diet since forever. <laughs> so I can't speak to that either. Um, okay. So Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned like this idea of energy and, and it sort of being this unexplainable feeling of being, being at ease. Um, you have mentioned before that there are some thinkers who have put forward this idea that, um, memory may also be contained at the cellular level. And so when we eat things that have memories, we, we theoretically could kind of absorb those bad vibes. Um, I'm interested in that and why you included it in your talk. Um, Do you find that personally convincing?
2: I do. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's a a theory that goes back to the early 1900s called cellular memory. And um, that was really kind of just a quick, I'm working with like a short timeline on the, on the Ted talk there. So that was kind of a quick way to bring that point up, but I think it, you know, the way I like to explain it to people when I have time is um, just the understanding that everything in our physical world is, is energy. And that's, again, not hippie talk, that's, you know, that's uh, quantum physics. Um, you know, everything in our physical physical reality, if you break it down, is energy. So our bodies, the foods we eat, the chair we're sitting on, the, the, the house we live in, the uh, you know, the car, whatever, right? If you break it down, it's like, what? what's a human made of? What's an animal made of? Um, you know, you know, you get down to matter, and then you say, well, what's matter made up of? It's made up of atoms. What are atoms made up of? So, you know, subatomic particles. And what's a subatomic particle made up of? It's, you know, 99.99999 whatever percent energy. So we live in a world of, of energy, and, you know, when you eat something, you are consuming energy that is vibrating at a certain frequency. Um, That's just, again, that's, that's just physics. So when, in my opinion, when you eat, you know, another um, creature, another um, animal that's, you know, 99% of the animals that we eat in the U S were raised on factory farms that, you know, lived miserable lives, right? They lived in two-foot enclosures and, um, you know, were were raped and impregnated and just literally from the second they were born, you know, bred to produce meat and produce, you know, milk and, and, and whatnot and uh, ultimately are, you know, die in a very horrific manner. And when we eat that, um animal you know i certainly believe you take on the energy because it is energy if you break it down um and you are taking on an energy uh, of an animal that you know was not at ease as i referred to earlier you know that was full of anger and in hate and uh stress and fear and pain and you know just did not live a good life. So I firmly believe that when you consume, you know, that animal although, you know, the animal itself is dead, you you do take on the energy. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, and, and there is some science that backs that up certainly from a qu- quantum physics perspective, you know, that is you know that is what happens. But um you
1: know, so, so it, let's say theoretically, you have like a, a free-range, grass-fed cow.
2: Okay, you got to keep is... in mind that's less than that's less than one yeah. percent of all meat consumed.
1: Yes, um, but theoretically, what would a happy cow? I mean, do you think that that's something that you could test versus a, a factory farm cow?
2: I think sure you could, and um, yeah, and and I. I do think that would be better for your health, certainly better for the animal. Um yeah, but it, it, then then I just ask the question, you know, would you know, would I eat that in the first place? You know, I I've kind of stepped back and learned to sort of take like a bigger uh thought process around around food and specifically, you know, eating animals and I personally you know, I asked the question like why doesn't if I see a cow in a field like you know, hanging out, not one ounce of me wants to go kill and eat the cow, you know? And if I not only do I not have the physical tools to do that, um, I'd be totally grossed out. You know, I, I wouldn't want to go slit the cow's throat and see blood and guts, you know. I, I asked the question if i'm if i'm supposed to be eating that why don't i naturally have a, a tendency to want that you know other other meat eaters on the planet you know love that stuff right they want they have the tools and the physical qualities to go kill that animal and they're not turned off by the blood right they're not turned off by the gut so i just kind of asked that that question to myself um, you know why isn't that in kind of my natural tendency um, and furthermore, I'm repulsed. And, and if anything, I'd, I'd go pet the cow and feed it some grass. I wouldn't. I wouldn't kill it. You know. Um, so just another perspective, a, another way to look at it.
1: Yeah, I, I remember when I was young. I was probably nine or ten, and we raised a pig on our our neighbor's property along with their pig. And and the pigs were they were not like we did. <laughs> I think I think that we weren't allowed to name them anything anything cute. So, I think my little sister wanted to name it Marshmallow and my dad <laughs> said no or naming it stinky. <laughs> and um and um but I was there. I was there. I mean, I was literally walking over to the neighbor's house when I heard uh when I heard the gunshot. And I watched almost the whole almost the whole process. The guy did it with his bare hands. I mean, he was like an expert. Um I just remember the smell i 'm um, a very sensitive person, and the smell was very distinct and i I eventually had to leave because of that but boy that 's something that i'll 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 never forget um, yeah, so do you think that do you think that humans just when it really comes down to it, are we not meant to eat animals, and if that 's the case, why? When we look back at the archaeological record, does it seem like we've been meeting eat forever?
2: Yeah, so I I personally don't think we're built to eat meat. I think we're built like other herbivores on the planet. I think you know, we've done things in the past for survival purposes and if we lived in a world where we had to go out and either plant what we ate or kill what we ate. Um, I think, yeah, you, you do what you have to do. We, You know, you, you almost can't compare the two because we live in a world where there's a Whole Foods two minutes from us, you know, or, or, or a grocery store, right? It, it's a different world. And, um, you know, we've also done a lot of things in human history that, you know, turned out to be bad ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had things... Like slavery, and we used to kill people, and you know, it. it, it, I just believe you can't compare the two. And yeah, as cavemen, maybe we ate meat depending on where we lived, but um, yeah, I don't think it was for the most part. If people could plant something and in or get fruit from a tree or something like that, I think that was the majority of their you know food. And when they you know had to go on a five day hunt and come back with a boar or something like that they did it, and you know they survived off of it for a while and um, you know, who knows right all i all, the way I look at it as is that you just can't really compare it to the world we live in today when we have produce at our fingertips, you know within ten minutes of just about wherever we are and um yeah in you know physically, you can. You know, just look at certain things in the human body like um, atherosclerosis and, you know, the, the clogging of, of our arteries mm-hmm. um, and compare it to omnivores and carnivores and understand that they can eat all the meat they want and their arteries don't clog, whereas herbivores do and, and ours do, right? Um, and, and just things like that that, for me, don't add up to eating meat and... Um, yeah, I just don't think it's in our, in our nature unless it's a survival tactic, right? Again, why, why don't I have the physical tools? Um, and why am I turned off by doing that? Why do I want to give the pig a hug? You know, I mean, if I was meant to, if I was meant to kill and eat it, that's the way I look at it.
1: So one of the things I asked Leah Keith uh, was, I, I asked her about the China study, which um, is very strongly, I feel like, relied upon in the vegetarian and vegan circles. And she had some strong words about it. She essentially said that Dr. Campbell cherry-picked the data and, and made certain leaps of logic. But I wanted to give you a chance to weigh in on that as well so we can have some some balance, because it's a very popular citation for the plant-based diet. Um, what, do you have any thoughts? Um,
2: yeah, that was, that was definitely, again, one of the first books I stumbled on too, after How Not to Die and, and diving into all that. Um, I personally think it's very compelling. Um, I think a lot of people don't like when you take, you know, populations of people, um, and, you know, compare them. I think they're some of the best science we have when you take populations. Um, yeah, I I don't think he cherry picked. I think he made conclusions that any other scientist would conclude personally. Um, and yeah, just remembering the fact that you know he started out um, his career with trying to get you know people in third world countries protein like he was trying to get people animal protein um and then slowly learn that you know in developing countries when um you know, people of affluence started to kind of go up in affluence. They had more access to animal foods and started getting more Western diseases. Um, And that's when he started to question things. And so it started out, you know, it didn't start out like he was going to do this, you know, massive study and show that a plant-based diet is the healthiest diet on the planet. He went, you know, trying to get people animal protein and then it it's it's spun into what is the china study um based on you know his findings um so yeah i think it's a good a, a very very good piece of science and on top of that um i like to point people towards the blue zones too which are you know five pockets of the world where people live the longest they don't see many of the western diseases like heart disease and cancer and um yeah i encourage people to check them out too and you know their their staple is you know 90 plus percent of their diet is is plant-based foods
1: are they also in 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 um are they in developed countries or or in more un, undeveloped um more isolated parts of the world?
2: No, they're not in isolated parts of the world. That's the other thing people think. When I say like, uh, people tend to think they're like tribes or something. One uh-huh. one is L- Loma Linda, California, you know, not far from Los Angeles. Um, hmm. Another one's um, down in Costa Rica, our, uh, Sardinia. There's one in uh, Japan. So they're not kind of outliers. They're They live in the real world and are real people, but. Yeah, they're they're staples, these five pockets of the world. Um, They're they're studied by a a guy named Dan Buettner, um, who writes all about the blue zones. And yeah, 90 plus percent of their diet is is plants. And on top of that, again, uh, understanding that diet is just one part of being well. Um, You know, the other kind of things people in those parts of the world tend to do are you know, they don't have gym memberships, they just kind of move throughout the day and are always walking to get their food, and they live in areas where that are very walkable, and they have a mm-hmm. strong sense of community, and they, you know, have a strong family support system and a lot of love in their life and things like that, so there's yeah. other aspects, but
1: yeah that's the thing with with epidemiological studies is is the human experience is so complicated to be able to isolate one thing and say yes this is definitely bad for you or or definitely very positive for for your health could be very difficult to say um so i i do just quickly <clears throat> cause this is the thing i wonder about with the china study um it didn't from what I've read it it wasn't divided necessarily into people who are a hundred percent plant based and people who are you know like I guess what we would consider normal in America eating eating quite a bit of meat like on a daily basis um do you think that there is a significant difference between being ninety plus percent plant based and being a hundred percent plant based do you think that there are things that you that maybe people are getting from meat, um, for instance, like B12 and, and calcium and iron and things like that, that if you, as long as you eat meat occasionally, that it's, it's a more sustainable diet. Cause <clears throat> I mean, that's the, that, that seems to be what I've heard from, from ex vegans, you know, who, who just eat eggs every once in a while or eat fish every once in a while.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a big difference. Um, I don't, if you're having, you know, a piece of fish or some eggs once a week or every couple of weeks or at special occasions, um, I don't think there's a huge difference, but I don't think you need it. Um, you know, the way I look at meat is that, you know, anything that that animal got, got from the earth. Um, you know, whether it's the fish or the cow, right? They, they, they got their protein, they got their B12 from the earth. Um, so, you know, they don't inherently have those things in their body. They consume foods that, you know, have those things and and that's where they get them. So my take on it is just, you know, go right to the source and get those nutrients from the earth. Um, on the B12 front, since you brought it up, um, that's certainly, a challenge in today's world and it's not just vegans that are B12 um deficient I don't like the word deficient but to if we're going that that path but um um you know we the way we um get our produce nowadays right we wash everything we sanitize everything um our soils are very much depleted here in the US uh B12 comes from the soil it's also a bacteria it's not a mineral i mean it's not a vitamin um, mm-hmm. That's a whole nother topic, um but yeah, we just don't get it, whether you're uh you know carnivore or a or a vegan. We don't get as much of it as you know we have in the past because of our agricultural systems um but yeah, I don't think you get anything from a animal that you can't get from the earth. That's my take, and I don't think there's a difference a big difference if you occasionally have some meat. Um, but I don't see it as something you need. That's my take.
1: What are the biggest things that you think are holding people back from switching to a plant-based diet? Do you think it's, it's lack of knowledge or is it just the force of habit or expense? What do you, what do you think?
2: Yeah, that's the, that's the, uh, billion dollar question right there. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's habit. I think it's Um, traditions. I think it's uh, social situations. I think it's cultural norms. I I think it's all of that. Right. I think, you know, try to try to tell somebody they're not going to have turkey on Thanksgiving, you know, here in the U.S., you know, that's a you know, that's a that's a hard step for people. And, and, And we live in a world where it's normal to not eat plant-based right it's normal to eat animal products and that's the world we've we've grown up in um yeah it, it, I, I think it's just like anything it depends on the person and you know there's people that have been trying to get to the gym for the past 50 years of the li- their life and they can't get to the gym right it, it's it's the same thing if they want to get the benefits from healthier food uh it might be uncomfortable for a little while and they, it, it's a hard change for some people um but, yeah, I think there's so many different factors as to why people don't. Um, but I think, you know, as it becomes more and more accessible and convenient for people to eat that way, that hopefully people, you know, go more that way.
1: What, what do you think is the most persuasive argument you'd give to someone who is sitting across from you right now, who maybe, you know, is like me but is slightly more open-minded and doesn't think everything tastes better with bacon on it. Um, that's like, "Mm, I don't quite buy it. I mean, you know, I have my bad days. I have my low energy days. Um, but, but that's, that's pretty normal. And you know, we've been eating meat for thousands of years. What, what, what would you say to, to that person? What's like the most persuasive point you can make for a plant-based diet?
2: Honestly, I just tell people I've been on both sides of the ball. I mean, most people that are asking about it have never tried it. You know, I, I did a very, what people would consider a very healthy Western diet for many, many years. Um, I've also experimented with all kinds of things. Um, and I have, you know, been plant-based for four years now, and it's honestly changed my life. You know, I mean, that is the most compelling thing I can say is that, you know, I've been in your shoes. You haven't been in my shoes, the the shoes that I'm in now. Um, I've seen both sides in in people that have never given a plant-based diet a shot. And I'm not talking about for, you know, a week or, or 30 days. I'm talking about committing to it for a couple months and seeing how you feel. Um, because, like anything it's gonna for a lot of people it feels you know different you know they're doing something different than what they've normally done their entire lives, so your body can react in a way that may not feel right it it you know it has the old cravings it it wants the old things it it wants the the homeostasis it wants you know the same things you've been putting in it for all the years of your life so There can be an uncomfortable phase, but, um, yeah, I, I've been on both sides and I have the, the blood work and the anecdotal, you know, stuff to back it up. And I would just say, you know, you got to commit to it for a few months and, and you have to, and it's not about going vegan. It's about eating as much whole plant foods as you can. Um, and sticking with it and seeing how, it, how you feel and maybe, you know, get your blood work done before and six months later, after as much whole plant foods as you can eat, get your blood work done again um, and just notice things that have changed in your body and, and be the judge for yourself. Um yeah, in and, and on top and on top of that, research helps too, you know, knowledge helps, you know. Um go to nutritionfacts.org, dot org, do your own research and understand that there are, you know, people that have been plant based for sixty, seventy years, right? Um mm-hmm. and just and they're not lacking anything. They're, you know, probably healthier than most. So um, yeah, that's what I would say. You know, I, I've seen both sides, and I encourage you, you or anybody I'm, I'm sitting across from to just try it and commit to it for a long period of time. Um, and if you go off the rails one day, you know, don't throw your hands up and say, ah, oh, you know, I quit this vegan thing. Uh, because I had some accidentally had some cheese or something. I see that all the time. People like try to go plant based and then they quit because they accidentally had some animal product. And that's not what it's about. It's just about yeah. eating more whole plant foods.
1: Fair, fair points. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot and I feel like this really balances things out for the listener. And I really appreciate what you have to say, especially about. You know, listening to your body—it's a simple concept, but I think we forget it a lot because we're surrounded by all of this information on the internet, and everybody's telling us different things. And I think that's really good. good and advice. could I
2: add one more thing in on? Yeah. just a piece of advice I like to give people. I think the um, you know the macronutrient terms that we that we use—protein, fat, sugar, carbs. I think those words are some of the most misleading words we have done in the nutrition world. Um, we're always trying to get you know high something and low something, or you know balance our macros and all this, and, and we get in the weeds on protein, carbs, and fat and sugar. And you know most people just want to be around and live healthy and disease-free lives and be around for their loved ones and the The question we should be asking when we sit down to a meal is not how much protein it has in it, not how many carbs it has in it, not how much sugar it has in it. Any of that. Just is this food that I'm about to eat health promoting? Is it going to make me feel good? You know, that's the question. Not um, you know, not getting into these macronutrient uh, talk. And I always like to ask people. Um, if they've heard of kwashiorkor, which is the medical term for a protein deficiency, and zero people in the United States last year died of it, because it's it's not a real thing if you consume enough calories. Um, so we we try to get protein in it blinds us to the bigger picture, right? We look at a piece of chicken as, you know, this high protein food. We don't look at it as chicken and then say, Hey, does chicken promote long-term health? Does it, you know, promote disease or does it fight disease? And and those are the questions we should ask um, and get away from the macronutrients. And I've seen a lot of people, if they can get beyond that and stop, you know, looking at that and, and focus on what they're actually eating, um, it's really beneficial.
1: Pat, where can we follow all things green that you are involved in besides your website, eat green, Bake green?
2: Uh, yeah, eat green, make green, um, on social media too. So, uh, Instagram is probably the biggest place I'm posting and talking and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, um, my latest business, eat rewild, um, rewild, eatrewild.com um and
1: what's your green, what's your handle for social media?
2: It's at eat green make
1: green. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. You can follow the podcast on social media at one eighty at one eighty cast. Come say hi to me there and let me know if you have a one eighty story to share or you know somebody who does. Um it is one of my small, humble missions in life to make Twitter more fun and more inviting and conducive to cross ideological discussion. So if that sounds cool to you, come say hi. Also, if you like the podcast, please give it a review on iTunes. It really does help a lot in putting this content in front of more people. Um, Also, if you want to chat news and politics and whether the Star Wars franchise was ever really any good, you can find me at Georgie underscore Borman, B-O-O-R-M-A-N, on Twitter. Until next time, seek the truth, share your values, and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless.